The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. Blue Pineapple Travel are experienced travel agents who help you design the perfect trip. They're all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. The world is a lot different these days, and the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are ready to help you safely navigate it. From helping you figure out the conscientious destinations to helping you figure out entry protocols for different countries, the agents at Blue Pineapple Travel are there for you. Looking to work abroad for an extended period of time? Looking to attend virtual school from a remote location? These are all things that Blue Pineapple Travel can help you do. Again, their website is bluepineappletravel.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance exists to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in their ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust your training schedule. An ITL coach would be glad to meet with you and to chat about your goals and find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. And finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by SlayRx. You can find those good folks at www.slayrx.com. Are you needing a pleasant spark to take your endurance game to the next level? Are you needing an all-natural, high-quality, customized hydration powder with or without sugar to stave off cramping and dehydration? Are you in need of an effective all-in-one fuel to slay your endurance efforts? Look no more, SlayRx. SlayRx has a really good line of products to serve our most pleasant exhaustion podcast listeners. Let's start with Michelle's favorite, Spark Plug, which replaces sports gel and gross post-race trips to the port johns It's a poppin' electrolyte powder in small, easily carried tubes. There's also an all-in-one endurance fuel. It has all of your electrolytes, clean fuel, and for no extra cost, your essential amino acids with or without caffeine. And it costs about one-third as much as other brands' combo rocket fuels. Finally, they have my favorite, SlayRx Hydrate Powder, which comes with or without sugar and varying strengths of electrolytes based on your individual needs. They can find those individual needs on the free quiz online at SlayRx.com or with in-person testing like Patrick and I did at their headquarters on podcast episode number 114. Hydrate is the fuel that I use during the Blue Ridge Relay this year, and I recommend it for all of you as well. SlayRx products are 100% natural, come in great flavors, are vegan friendly, and the Hydrate Light is keto friendly. They've all been well researched and developed by a UGA food scientist who's also an Ironman athlete. The products are tested by the pros and endorsed by your fellow endurance athletes and hardworking folks in the community. The free sweat quiz and their products can be found at SlayRx.com, on Amazon.com, or at your local run and bike shop if it's available. You can use the code PLEASANT2020 at SlayRx.com for 10% off. Thanks to SlayRx for sponsoring us, y'all. Give them a try. We appreciate our sponsors, and thanks to all of them for helping us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Welcome back to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast brought to you by ITO Coaching and Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and SlayRx. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor, and I'm a father of twin boys. And my name is Michelle Frank. I'm also an endurance athlete here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a mom to three girls, and I am a CPA. Michelle, today, the day we're recording, is the 20th of December. It is a day you've been looking forward to for a while, right? 
Yeah, it's so exciting <laughs> that you're back from Costa Rica. <laughs> no, no, I, as excited as I'm sure that you are that I am back in town. Uh, the thing that you're really excited about was the Marathon Project, right? That is true. Take us back through and tell us kind of what the Marathon Project is, like what the setup was. Sure, so I think after uh, the world changed um, in March, you know, pretty much the week after the Olympic marathon trials, uh, people kind of regrouped and took some downtime or trained for a track season just to see if track was going to happen. It didn't happen. And, uh, people took some time off in the summer. And then by about July or August, we got wind of, uh, Ben Rosario, who's the head coach of NAS elite, Northern Arizona elite. Um, and Josh Cox, who is a pretty well-known agent, uh, trying to come up with, you know, an opportunity, a definitive opportunity for athletes, uh, mostly North American, although I believe that there were some others that were there today, um, to race. And they wanted to do it in a place that was going to absolve them of any federal or state mandates based on, uh, you know, quarantine and COVID and everything going on. So they arranged for a uh, professional marathon to be held, USATF certified, to be held in Chandler, Arizona uh, on an Indian reservation. It was 4.26 mile loops, I think, mm -hmm. um, perfectly measured by the one and only David Katz, who is pretty well known for uh, course accuracy. And they brought out <laughs> 50 men and 50 women. And I believe that um, it ended up being maybe 40 women started and 42 men. Um, there were actually a bunch of both international and American athletes that failed their COVID tests. So they did not start today, but uh, Brooks was a sponsor and they, uh, with very limited price purse, prize purse, I think it was, you know, 5,000, 3,000, 2,000 or something like that for the top three, but it was just a full-fledged potential for marathoners to kind of do something great. Um, most of these athletes didn't have a chance to race this year. Their contracts are really winding down because it's technically an Olympic year and they needed a surefire way to kind of show their sponsors that maybe they were worth <laughs> sponsoring uh, mm -hmm. further on and into 2021 and maybe what ends up being the next quad. So uh, it was awesome to you know, it felt like a real kind of world marathon major professional race, even though if you were actually watching it, you, it was very clear that it was, it was completely desolate. I mean, you, you heard mm -hmm. one cowbell, maybe, you know, every few minutes or something, mm -hmm. but it was a, a great spectacle for, I think, you know, running fans everywhere and um, major bonus that it started at 10 o'clock Eastern time. Like we right. never get that. <laughs> so we didn't have to wake up all night. Um, we've had a few, we've had London, we've had Valencia. Um, so this is, this was great. This was everything they promised it would be and more, I think. So. Yeah. Yeah. I want to talk about the race and the experience that well, not only how the race unfolded, but also the experience of watching the race. Cause I think that it was unique. Um, as you just suggested there. I want to ask you about something you just said, though, because that was something I wasn't familiar with. You said that they wanted to plan it in such a way that they were able to duck COVID protocols. So they had all the protocols in place, but right. by doing it on the Indian reservation, they were only bound, even if Arizona had shut their state down, there's something about the the way the Indian reservation is governed that they right, right. would- It's a sovereign state, be, sure. Yeah, they would be protected. So they would- the athletes would basically be guaranteed a race. I think we've I see. seen a lot of races, um, like I think Rock and Roll Nashville did it, where 
and not, I'm not equating a rock and roll race with a professional marathon. Well, maybe I am, but were they, you know, almost up until the last minute, the race was going to happen. And then they called it off like mm-hmm. five days before. So gotcha. I think putting it on the Indian reservation made it so that, you know, come hell or high water, if these athletes, they had to drive across the country, if planes weren't flying, worst case scenario, they could still get there, get their tests done based on race and the reservation protocols and, um, they were going to get a chance to race. So I see what sense? you mean. Did I say that wrong? <laughs> no, no, I think you said it right. But I think that's an important distinction to be made because, because the way that, that I heard it initially, when you said it, is that they were trying to, to, to find a way to find a loophole in the rules in order no. to be able to duck all the safety stuff. And, and watching it today, I was actually struck by the opposite. You know, Bernard yeah, Legat was sure. one of the, was one of the, the people who was talking, uh, was one of the commentators. He had a mask on throughout. And then when they did the, the post interviews with the winners, they had the, the distancing microphone that you've seen in a lot of the, the interviews yeah. and, and all sorts of different sports and that sort of thing. Um, a lot of the fans, even though it was clearly outside, a lot of the fans were, were masked, um, which I appreciated. Um, and, and so, yeah, I saw a lot of safety protocols in place. And so that's the reason why I was like, wait, but they had all this. And then, like you said, I knew that a lot of people weren't, not a lot of people, but well, uh, you know, what, 20, almost 20% of the field uh, yeah. wasn't able to start the race because they had actually failed their COVID tests. Um, and so, so, um, and so I knew that that was kind of part of it as well. So, so obviously, yeah, you know, I um, think they took the, uh, the actual safety measures on the reservation for the athletes very seriously. They put mm-hmm. them, you know, they were confined to their hotels. They brought all the meals in. Um, mm-hmm. There was, there was really very little exposure, although, you know, right. similar to, I think we're going to talk about Daytona here in a little bit, but I mean, there was ethical, you know, moral decisions that these athletes had to make to, sure. to travel. I mean, the traveling seems to be, you know, where people are kind of getting stuck with, uh, should I race or shouldn't I, uh, professional athletes, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, sorry if that was unclear. No, no, I'm glad. I just wanted to make sure that we were clear for everybody who was listening. So, um, sure. so, so let's talk about the race itself. Like you said, it was, it was, uh, it ultimately ended up being about 40 to 45 men and about 40 to 45 women. They, they both started at the same time on opposite sides of the road and they both followed the same course. The course was pancake flat. Um, yep. it was, it was six loops of four point something miles. Um, and then they, they kind of ran back in the turns were not hard turns. They were very gentle turns. Um, yeah, so- they actually posted on Thursday, they remeasured the turns and they pushed each turn out five meters, hmm. which there was a ton of commentary and it showed David Katz doing this and measuring it in his steel wheel and his old school Casio calculator watch. I mean, you could really <laughs> geek out about this stuff, but, um, and my understanding from that was that making them less tight, like bringing them out five more meters took the curvature to something that, you know, they would really feel each time to Mm -hmm. kind of more just like a a bend in the road. Yeah. Um, So, but they didn't seem to struggle around the turns. I mean, it looked, they looked pretty smooth. They didn't lose much speed. They didn't lose, you know, they didn't have to change their footing. For sure. So that, that, that was my impression as well. You remember when Elliot Kipchoge did um, the, the breaking, not the breaking two project, but, but when he ran under two hours, uh, the Enios uh, sub two project that last year um, in 2019, he ran around roundabouts at each end of the hopefully there in Vienna. Yeah. And um, they looked pretty narrow. <laughs> so, well, one of them was more narrow than the other one. Um, yeah. And so, I remember that. So, and then when I, when I ran on that course, um, I wasn't able to go around the Northern roundabout because it was fully open to traffic and, and right. I couldn't just run out in the middle of traffic. Um, but yeah, he wasn't having to turn very hard either. 
Um, sure. and, and those are the only turns he made. Um, and that was undoubtedly the flattest, straightest road I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, putting it at this elevation in Arizona on this reservation, I mean, they were almost 90% guaranteed high 30s, low 40s, no wind, sunny day. And they got just that. I mean, that's exactly what they got. Yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. a picture perfect day to run a fast marathon. Right so so, um, so let's start, let's start with the women's race then. Um, the news hit earlier this week that the uh, women were going to have a couple of different pace groups and the leading pace group was going to go through halfway in 109.30. Was that the goal? Yeah, Sarah Hall made a big uh, statement that she was going to go after Dina Castor's American record. So uh, that is 519 pace and they did go through the half. I think they were, were they six seconds faster than that? They were right at it, I remember. And then they were right, or they were right at it. Um, unfortunately, you know, Sarah Hall had an amazing run in London. She ran a 221 there, a huge lifetime personal best. 11 weeks ago. 11 weeks ago. So I, I think, you know, I'm just surmising here, um, what we saw from her and, you know, the last half, especially the last few kilometers today was just the fatigue in her legs from, you know, that, that type of effort only 11 weeks ago. So um, she ended up finishing off the American record. She did get another lifetime personal best. Um, and I think she ran about 522 per mile for 22032. Yeah. So, um, yeah, but two twenty thirty two, second fastest, uh, marathon by a woman in the United States history behind that American record of being a caster, a little bit less than a minute behind that, that, uh, American record of being a yeah. caster that she ran about 15 years ago in the, uh, in the London marathon. Um, did she run that in 2006? Is that, it was, it was right around that time. Yeah. I can't, I, I don't, mean, yeah. if you think about what the times that we're seeing, yeah. I mean, this year alone and, and what Dina did that yeah. many years ago with just I agree. racing flats, a six racing flats. I agree. And now with the shoe advantage, I mean, that record, not only has it stood the test of time for over a decade, but mm -hmm. I mean, it just, she was really good. <laughs> oh yeah. I, th I think that's actually, I mean, to me, I think that's one of the big takeaways from today and, and yeah. we're, we're getting a little bit out of order, but that's okay. We're postmodernists. Um, that, that, <laughs> that, so <laughs> the accountant is not a postmodernist. Uh, well, actually, actually neither is a college professor. So I didn't even say that, but one way or another, we really are going out of order to, to, to jump into our takeaways before we even finish talking about the race. But one of the big takeaways for me is, wow, Dina Castor's record is legit. I mean, yeah. um, that, that Sarah Hall as well as she's been running as strong as she's been, um, that, that a six finally has a, a super shoe that is, is caught up a little bit, or at least is comparable. It seems to the Vaporfly and others. Um, and, and, and she went after it and she had two pacers that were right with her the whole time. Um, and, and she still ended up finishing a Yeah. I mean, record. she had four pacers and only two were able to stay with her. So, yeah. yeah. Um, um, but, but we shouldn't categorize this. I don't think as a failure for, for Sarah Hall. I mean, this oh, was, no. um, you know, she ran two twenty two oh one, um, and that was her PR 11 weeks ago. And then now she just sliced, you know, almost 90 seconds off of that. Um, in, in order to, to, to PR yet again yeah. and run the second fastest that, that any woman has ever run, run in American history for the marathon. So um, kudos to her. I mean, she is um, she was all but retired like in 2009, really. Yeah. Um, she, she definitely took a back seat to her husband, Ryan Hall's uh, running aspirations. Um, and yeah, I mean, she's super impressive um, and, and she's running great now. She's 37 years old. Um, yeah, so, it is so. great to see. 
Yeah. So kudos to her. If there's anybody that might have an even better story than Sarah Hall, it might be the second place finisher, Kira D'Amato. I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so Kira D'Amato ran 222.56 for like a like an 11 minute, minute PR. PR. Yeah, yeah I which think is it was insane. 11 or 12 minutes. So. Yeah, yeah. So so uh, now tell us her story real quick. Speaking of somebody who retired and then is not now. Yeah, so I think we've spoken about her before, but um, she's been gone for about 15 years, uh, maybe 13. She started coming back maybe a little bit under two years ago. She was a great uh, high school and collegiate runner. You can just go look at, uh, you know, there's been some speculation today. How could she take 12 minutes off her time? She must be doping. But the talent's always been there. I mean, if you mm -hmm. go look at NCAA right. results from her collegiate years, and she is a mom of two. She works full-time as a realtor. She just kind of started getting back into competitive running after her second child was born. And, um, you know, we've spoken a bit about, she ran a 1504 solo time trial 5K this year. She set uh, an American road record for the 10 mile. And I actually think when we did that podcast, I called it the cherry blossom 10 K, but it's a 10 miler. So I'm glad <laughs> I get to fix that error here. Um, and she set that up for herself to break that record. She broke that record. Um, we had a great track meet two weeks ago, sound running, and she was going to go out there uh, and try to get a really fast 5k, 10k in. I forget exactly which one, but she got food poisoning actually mm -hmm. right before that. And it took her out for about five days. Mm -hmm. uh, so we didn't see her at the track meet, but she had said that once she recovered from food poisoning, she bounced right back into the last few weeks of training uh, for today for the marathon project. And she um, went out with the leaders, fell back a little bit when Sarah Hall broke away, but then she just kind of, uh, she never stopped. She just, Kellen Taylor ran in second place for a long time, um, but by mile, I don't know, maybe mile 17 or 22. I can't remember exactly. Um, Kara was just, she looks great. I mean, mm -hmm. she, she even looked great at the finish. She looked like she could just keep going. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, she took the speed that we've seen from her all year and came in second place. She ran 222.56, like we said, and maybe an 11 or 12 minute PR. Um, I mean, is she 36? works full-time mama too. I might be wrong on the age. Sorry. Um, unsponsored. Although if someone doesn't sponsor her, you know, I saw a, pay, uh, a post today by, um, <laughs> by Allison Wade, who runs the fast women newsletter that we've talked about that just said that if somebody doesn't pick her up and sponsor her, then she's just going to start to go fund me and she's going to be sponsored by running fans everywhere. <laughs> so um, that was a great, great run from her. And I think, we are going to see her back on the track for the 10k trials, mm -hmm. um, you know, next summer. And yeah, that's her plan is the 5k 10k trials. Cause mm -hmm. both she and Sarah Hall, as great as they ran today, neither one of them had their best races at the trials. She didn't, she was injured for the trials. Why didn't you care to model? No, up? she ran, no, she was 15th at the trial. Oh, she I was. Think. Okay. Okay. You better look that up real quick. But, but, but she um, didn't, but she didn't have her best day. Oh um, no, she didn't. Um, yeah, she didn't have a great but Kira, day. Kira, but Kira D'Amato was injured though, right? Sarah Hall didn't have her best day, but Kira D'Amato was injured, wasn't she? No, I think Kira won, ran in 15th place at the trials. Okay, and then Sarah, but Sarah also didn't have her best race and didn't No, Sarah had a, either. I mean, Sarah just was destroyed by the hills and uh, the wind and the weather. Um, you know, I think some people are kind of cut out for that tactical course that Atlanta was and uh, some people just aren't and um we've seen sarah perform pretty well you know london was also just loops and flat and the weather was an issue in london i think um but today she you know i i just i wish we could have seen her run today without london and her legs um because
because I think we might have seen something really, really, really special. And she's such a prolific racer that this year kind of shut her down a little bit. Um, so I just, you know, kind of feel like she could have had that American record today, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, so, so Kira D'Amato, you could hear me typing there just a second ago. I just looked it up. She finished 15th at the marathon trial. So you're right about yes, that in, in 234. So <laughs> uh, and 234, 24. So yeah, she did run it. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. I mean, so if you and I, you and I did have this conversation, we've had this conversation before, um, right. um, like a year ago, and I, I, we probably had it multiple times on this, on this podcast. So perhaps some of our listeners can remind us when we talked about it. But in the past, I've always kind of said, yeah, I just feel like she races too much. If she just cut down on her racing a little bit, she'd probably be a lot better. Because it's not just her racing, like a lot of her times in her training, she'll go out and she'll run like 26 miles at marathon. Yeah, she'll go out and run a marathon like at close to marathon. And it's like, wow, that's a little bit insane. Um, and so so she's just putting a lot of stress on her body all the time. Um, and I'm also skeptical too, because you know, her coach is is Ryan Hall, who who right. um I'm I don't know. I don't I don't know that, that he always applies the 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 best ideas. But anyway, um but I, I'm I'm willing to come around a little bit that there's a degree to which the proof's in the pudding that it, it clearly seems to be working for. And so if you did kind of say, okay, well, you're going to race less now, you're going to do more of a traditional, you know, periodization, you're going to quit doing these super long marathon pace runs. Um, would she do better? I really don't know. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of what we've talked about with Yuki Kawauchi before, you know, Yuki Kawauchi runs marathon a month, you know, yeah. um, and he runs them fast and he runs, you know, sure. half marathons and panda suits and he works full time. If he didn't do all that stuff, would he run faster? I'm not sure that he would. Um, yeah, just I don't know. I don't know that we'll ever know. I don't think we're going to, not after I, yeah, this year, I, I don't think we're going to see her cut back on racing. So we will see her. Um, she will try to also, uh, we're doing a good job talking about Kira, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we will see both of them, um, assuming they have a 10K qualifier for mm. the track trials uh, for right. Tokyo next summer. That's so. right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, it should be some exciting racing to come. And then... And third yeah. place today, uh, you know, pretty tried and true Kellen Taylor. Mm -hmm. um, I think her plan today was just to go out with Sarah Hall, like mm -hmm. just to go for it, um, balls to the wall and, and see how far she could hang on. So she was a little bit uh, less than a minute off of her PR. She finished about 225 something. 225, um, 22. Yeah. So she took third place and solid run for her. Definitely mm -hmm. not what she wanted. You could tell. Mm -hmm but she just never gives up, you know? Um, so yeah. she's fun to watch race. That is her reputation being super tough. Wearing a jacket for the first couple of kilometers was questionable. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but she got rid of it. I mean, it she was- She did get rid of it. I was, was, I was we nervous. Like, I was nervous watching jacket? her wearing that jacket. I really was. I was watching her wear that jacket and I was like, she's got, she's got to lose that jacket. That's just such a bad idea. But yeah. She, but she lost it pretty early. Yeah. You so. could see the wind whipping it. Like, I just- Mm -hmm. especially once she fell off the pacers she ran alone also mm -hmm. for most of that race so um yeah the uh, in the women's race there was clearly and so this is you know something else i, I intend to talk about in a little while but she she uh there, there was a clear division in the women's race between sarah hall trying to run under 220 and everybody else yeah um and the only person that basically said yeah i'll run with sarah hall i'll i'll, I'll go with these pacers um, was kellen taylor um, and yeah. Kellen Taylor ended up going through the half marathon 35 or so seconds faster than her half marathon PR. Um, her half marathon PR is like 110.30 and, and they went through halfway at like 109 
36 or something like that. So, I mean, significantly faster um, than, than her standalone half marathon PR. Yeah. You know, and, and then, and then because like we say that, that she, there was this division, as soon as she got dropped, she was just kind of hung out by herself. Yeah. Um, the pacers in the women's race, I thought did do a good job of like adjusting to what the situation was. Do you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. And I think, um, you I was know, impressed we, could, by that. we could hear, especially Sarah Hall's pacers at the end. I mean, those mm-hmm. guys with 2k to go, it felt like those guys were literally keeping her on her feet. Like yeah. they, yeah, her head was back her. and, and oh, her jaw yeah. was hanging open. Yeah, yeah, she was hurting. So, yeah. Um, yeah, but for sure. Yeah, I mean, but, again, like hats off to Ben Rosario and Josh Cox because they set that up. They got the Pacers. Mm-hmm. You know, the women said what time they wanted to run. Like they put that all together. They put it together for the men's race also. So I think mm-hmm. it was great to see it work out. Right on. Let's talk about the men's race. So before the race started, I texted you. You and I were texting, obviously, uh, since we were both a watching little bit. It. So just a little bit. Um, and, and since we were both watching, we were texting back one another. And I texted you and I said, OK, my dark horses are Kira D'Amato and and Marty Heher. Um, and you texted back. Agreed. Um, yep. That was a pretty good picks by us, I will say. Yeah. You know, it's probably the, the, the reason why there were such good picks is because we were just texting them to each other as opposed to putting them on the podcast. Right. So had we actually <laughs> said it in front of anybody else, both of them would have DNF. Nothing would have manifest from it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but but Marty Heher, um, who uh, gained some measure of fame during the U.S. Olympic trials when he finished sixth, despite the fact that he took a bathroom break around like mile 16 or 17 yeah. of the marathon trials here in Atlanta. Um, it was a quick one. He said it was like 18 seconds total or something like that. Uh, but he had to dash into a, a bathroom and, and go really fast. But um, he lowered his PR in Atlanta um, and then lowered it again today in order to run 208.59 and yeah. become uh, one of a small group of American men who have run under 209. Um, the uh, large group of men were together running about 209 pace. That's what they were aiming at. Um and um, right there around 22 miles or so, um, he basically kind of threw in a little bit of a surge, threw in a little bit of a move, and he ended uh, up being kinda. the only he did. So, <laughs> no, yeah. Um, he, uh, I, I say kind of because, because they were going, it, it wasn't a massive, well. Yeah, he didn't need a massive surge. Yeah, he just right. needed a small break and who was going to go with him, and really nobody did. You're, you're right. You're exactly right. Cause, cause most of them, because of the way the race was set up, most of them were kind of on, on the limit anyway. Most of them were kind right. of already on the rivet. Um, yeah. and so, so yeah, so he, he probably sped up literally like eight or nine seconds per mile. Um, right. and, and he, I think he ran like a four forty nine there and that's, and that's about all it took. And he, he put on a pretty good gap, um, behind him was Noah Drotty, um, oh, who finished, so uh, two Oh nine Oh nine and, and, Oh, I just love him. <laughs> And, and I'm just crossed so, the I finish can't, like, line and everything that was inside everywhere. of him came out of him. <laughs> <laughs> Had you seen that video before I sent it to you? So, so uh, I hadn't seen the video. I, but you I, saw, it I, I saw I saw it live. Yeah, because yeah, sure. he like, I mean, he came across the finish line and it's not like he came across the finish line and held together. Like no, he literally he just... <laughs> walked across it, like stumbled across the line and just let go right there in such a fashion that every other finisher after him probably had to step in it. I mean, it was right there. Yeah. Um, and, uh, uh, third place was Colin Benny, who is uh, wanting Marty Heher's teammates, both at Syracuse, um, where they won an NCAA cross-country title back in 2015. Um, and then now on the Reebok Boston uh, uh, running club team, um, and Colin Benny had also finished in the top 10 of the marathon trials. It was his first marathon 
um, in Atlanta. And then he PR today um, by also running 209. He ran 209.38. Um, yeah. A total of seven American men uh, went under 210. It was the three guys we just talked about, plus Scott Fowl, Scott Smith, um, Mick Icafano, and Ian Butler all went under 210. So, yeah, uh, I think I said I thought stuff. we'd see 10 guys you know, mm-hmm. all kind of one on top of each other. Um, yeah, you said they'd be really, sprinting for the finish. Yeah. Um, yeah, so and, we didn't get to see that sprint for the finish, but uh, we saw some really good running today. And I think, um, you know, also noting nobody, Nikes weren't really um, like the women's winner wore Asics. The men's winner, uh, why am I blinking? He wore, he wore Adidas. Um, he wore Adidas, right, because, because he's, he's Reebok, Reebok Boston. Right, we talked about right. this. Um right. So, you yeah, know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. So let's 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 say this about Marty Heher first. And so it actually seemed fitting that Marty Heher won this particular race. Um, he is a medical student. He's a married guy. He's got two kids. Um, and so kind of followed it follows a little bit different path here. Um, but he has spent uh, a lot of time over the course of the last several months caring for people who have COVID-19 um, yeah. as a med student. And so um, it seems appropriate that 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 would be the person that would win this race um, uh, here as, as we were in a, nearing the end of the year of COVID-19. Um, and so so that was good. Noah Drotti, you were fired up about that. He's a fan favorite, right? Yeah. I mean, I just love his long hair. So no, I'm just <laughs> um, Yeah, just... Noah Drotti, we should say, doesn't match the 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 clean cut suburban white guy uh, no, uh, not at uh, all. stereotype so of good. an American right. distance runner. Yeah. Uh, um, long hair. And and what's his Twitter handle? I think it's I built the arc. I built an arc or I, I built the arc. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's um, perfect. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, but he, he got a lot of attention at the Olympic trials in 2016 because he does, because he breaks the mold phys- like in his, in his, uh, the yeah. way he looks, his aesthetic. Um, and, uh, and has been a strong runner for the last several years, but this was pretty great. We haven't seen him much him. though. I mean, I don't think we've seen him mm-hmm. race a solid race in a while and he definitely hadn't raced it all this year. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, he's pretty vocal about, uh, wanting to keep, you know, his professional running stature, keep his Saucony sponsorship, Mm -hmm. but he really hadn't given them any reason um, Mm -hmm. to re-sponsor him after this year. Uh, But I saw Saucony's post. (laughs) So I think, you know, I think they're probably pretty happy with a, what, 209.09 guy. Um, So hopefully he's kind of sealed his deal for the next few years and he can relax a little bit. Um, I do like that he's, you know, pretty upfront with the stresses of having to perform and, you know, a payday and bonuses and stuff like that. But I just think that if he, uh, he really loves, I mean, he just, he's just so passionate about it. So to see him come out there and, you know, all the cards align for him, cause it's just, you could, it's just hard with the marathon to get that perfect day. Um, oh, I think yeah. he would probably tell you today was about as close to his perfect day as he's had, uh, mm-hmm. especially racing the marathon. So I'm pretty I happy. That's for true. Him. I think that's true. I think that's true. And then third, of course, Colin Benny, only his second marathon. So now you mentioned, you mentioned the shoes. And so let's talk about that a little bit more expressly. So, so since 2015, um, there has been 2015, 2016, there's, has been this major focus on the shoes and the Nike vapor flies and their carbon plating and their P-Bax foam and all that sort of thing. And, and, and the, the incredible, uh, boost you get in your efficiency late in the race that can, uh, in turn result in, 
uh, faster times. Um, and they've been controversial. We recorded an entire podcast episode on them about a year or so ago. We um, sure did. So I think so. I think it was more than that, um, but more than a year ago. Um, but it was more than a year. It was about two years ago. I just know that it popped up in my Facebook memories this week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was almost exactly two years ago. But we, uh, it, we were wondering when other shoe companies were going to catch up. And it appears, <laughs> it appears that they have, which actually I'm fired up about that for a variety sure. of reasons. Uh, not the least of which is the fact that this actually means that, that in the next marathon I run, whichever marathon that is, be it Eugene in, August, or in April or Berlin in, in uh, September or whatever it happens to be. You um, don't have to wear Nike Vaporflies. And I won't feel pressure to. Um, right. Because as somebody who cares about your time, you don't want to just be giving away time. Uh, you don't want to be just giving away places to your competitors um, because you're not you you don't totally love the shoes that that have been proven to actually improve your time. So yeah, I um, think what we've seen the last few months is there are definitely options now. Yeah, um, almost everybody is you know in the playing field, carbon fiber plate, mm-hmm. as thick of a midsole as you can get and be legal. Mm-hmm. Um, there's plenty mm-hmm. of choices out there. So yeah, yeah. So so to, so to be clear about it, Sarah Hall was wearing a pair of Asics prototypes. Um, and and by the way, the we should also mention she wore in London. <laughs> same, uh, yeah, uh, and we should also mention that that the IAAF has actually changed its rules. Um, we talked about those at the time that they actually came out, um, but they actually changed the rules on prototypes. Um, and there was, initially, they said that you can't race in prototypes, um, and they've changed the rules on that. And they said you can't race in prototypes now at the Olympic Games or at the World Championships, but you can any other time. Um, and right. so, so pros can now go back to having their one-off shoes and their prototype shoes and all that sort of thing, which is what Sarah Hall ran in, in London and what she ran in today. Um, second place, Kira Damato, what was she wearing? She was wearing Nikes. I think she was yeah. wearing the Vaporfly Next Percent. Okay. She was wearing the Next Percent. I mean, yeah, I folks actually, are real iffy they're, on the alpha they're pink, um, but they, the only, I mean, I think they're really the only other pink shoe besides what we saw in the men, which was the Adidas. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't seen a close up of her shoes. I know she wore the Tracksmith Lane Five tights again. Okay. Um, right. <laughs> so I really like those shorts. Sorry, but and then I think obviously Kellen Taylor runs for Hoka, so we mm-hmm. saw her. Um, we saw a lot of Hoka in the top ten on both sides today. I agree with that. Yeah, and so so presumably she was either either wearing a prototype or wearing uh, the Carbon X. Um, yeah. Or the carbon rocket, the carbon, carbon rocket. rocket. Um, and so I'm, I'm willing to bet she was probably wearing the carbon rocket. Um, on the men's size, um, Hayher uh, was wearing Adidas, uh, yep. the, the Adidas, Adidas Adios so. Adi Zero Pros, yep. uh, because every shoe needs four names. Um, yes. And so, um, and those shoes, they tend, they appear to be legit, by the way. Um, yeah. you know, a couple of weeks ago in Valencia, new half marathon world record by a lot. Everybody um, wore them. So <laughs> yeah, the, and the, the, the second place, uh, also beat the old record by a lot. And, yeah. and they, they were both wearing Adidas, uh, uh, Adidas, Adios, Adis, or Adio, Adidas, Adidas, Adios pros. Yeah. I mean, so, so AAA, triple APs. Um. <laughs> they could really use some rebranding or remarketing or whatever sure. the person that names the shoes for Adidas. I mean, we. I feel we like they re- could all use that. Like, like Nike has gotten to where they put the word "fly" in everything, um, yeah. and so so there's that. New Balance, 
like everything has a number and so you don't know which number is ever which and then they're all I mean you that, do if you know their shoes and so, you know their shoes <laughs> yeah but I mean but then the the and then every every shoe manufacturer right now is trying to create a suite of shoes that you use for all sorts of different purposes and so, so are you like, good with the Saucony suite I mean that's only two words everything is endorphin and then it's either shift speed or pro can you is that good for you is that yeah I don't know enough? I don't know so so <laughs> but anyway no so Noah Drotti was wearing the endorphin pro um, sure which, is their, which is their carbon plated marathon shoe. Uh, and then Colin Benny, also part of that Reebok um, uh, uh, track club. Same um, Adidas shoe. Is wearing the same Adidas shoes since oh. Adidas owns Reebok, we should say that. Um, and so, so that, that wasn't sort of a cross branding for any of them. Um, uh, yeah. Looking at the top 10, yeah, it's like, like those seven guys we mentioned, Scott Fobble was wearing Hocus. Scott Smith was wearing Hocus too. Cause he's on, he's on Nazalite yeah. too. Right. Um, Mick Icafano, I'm not sure what he was wearing. Um, yeah, I have no and idea. then Ian Butler, I think was probably wearing Nikes. Um, uh, but anyway, so, so one way or another, it does appear that, you know, which ones I didn't see up front that I, that I'm still kind of curious about. And the ones that I want to try the most are the, the new balance RC elites. Yeah, they're hard to get at your hands on. Well, they're all yeah. So are the so are the Adidas <laughs> Adios Adi Zero Pros. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pass. All right. So if so, I can't say the name of the shoe, I can't own it. Like <laughs> that's my threshold. I don't know. I feel like that's a difficult threshold. Um, all right. So let's talk about a couple other aspects of this race that were kind of cool. Um, you know, watching a race without any fans and without any fanfare. Um, that was interesting. You know, they had Des Linden was one of the commentators. Like we said, their, their sort of person on the sidelines was Bernard Legat. Um, what did you think about it? Well, I mean, I'm a little bit offended because I feel like I could, like, we were fanfare for each other. So <laughs> oh, you I read me? what okay, you wrote yeah. about that. <laughs> like, I'm like, what more do you want? Like, how many, like, two and a half hours of nonstop. <laughs> so, um, I loved the broadcast. And I honestly felt like, um, you know, I started watching it where I was just listening to it and I was using one monitor and, and getting some work done. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, because the broadcast was the way that it was, I didn't, you didn't really realize that there was no fanfare, mm -hmm. but as soon as you were watching the broadcast and watching the race, um, mm -hmm. the element of, you know, a world marathon major where these guys get to run with, you know, rows and rows of fans cheering and cowbells. I mean, that was so noticeably absent that mm -hmm. it was, it was hard not to kind of want that for them. Mm -hmm. um, so, but again, it's 2020. I feel like that was probably the best of the best. Um, yeah. The race was great for the runners and mm -hmm. the, um, the coverage and the broadcast was great for us. Mm -hmm. So Des Linden's commentary it felt like we were just kind of sitting in a bar drinking bourbon and talking about running with him. So, I mean, she had. Des Linden who confided in us that her mom's favorite distance runner is Sarah oh, Hall. Yeah, that, was such a, that was so good. So yeah, Des Linden and Sarah Hall are the same year. They grew up in California. So they mm -hmm. raced each other uh, in high school and yeah, Sarah was really good. I mean, I think Sarah was a footlocker champion mm -hmm. um, and Des you know, self-proclaimed wasn't so good. <laughs> so her mom is long doted on Sarah Hall as her favorite distance runner. And uh, Des made a comment today that, you know, her mom's favorite distance runner is probably still Sarah Hall. So um, yeah, there's just, nothing happened today that wouldn't make that yeah. not true, right? <laughs> so, um, but I don't know. I mean, I hope that we'll see fans back. Mm -hmm. For anybody who was at the marathon trials in Atlanta, I mean, none of us can even imagine that right now, right? Yeah. Like so yeah. close in and yeah. Thousands of fans packed in and the runners. Mm -hmm. Um, but 
I guess you just work with what you have and that's all there was to make it a safe run for yeah I totally agree with you on that on on that you work with what you have but it's missing Um, it's for sure missing I mm -hmm. mean it's a huge you know so I I I thought it was interesting because um it, it is different to watch a race with no fans um and where they're running so fast and and there's something about it that just it doesn't feel like a race uh, with without a whole lot of fans there at least doesn't feel like a race of of that caliber do you know what i mean um but but they're still running so fast and they're running so well um and and frankly honestly if it had been jammed with fans that were like jumping out of there and screaming at them and all that sort of thing that would have bothered me so much i would have had to turn it off um and so so because of covid yeah because because it would have been unsafe yeah um and so so it was good. It, it, there's a degree to which it was actually comforting. They didn't have any fans, even though it's just a strange way to watch a race and to feel around a race. Right. Yeah. Um, the thing that I think that's interesting about it, something like this, um, and this is the way that I felt too, watching like the track meets, like the inner squad track meets that we watched this summer where they ran so fast. Um, sure. um, it's, it's, you're so heavily focused on the race itself. Right. Um, and that makes, and, and I, I realized when I was watching Marty Heher pull away, I was like, I've read about him. I listened to a podcast. I've listened to a couple of podcast interviews with him. I'm a fan. I like him. Um, right. I've never actually watched him run all that much. And here I was like watching him run. Like that's just something I haven't done all that much. Of. It's as strange right. as that sounds. Right. Um, but, but when there's uh, not like human interest stories and there's not a whole bunch of other people in the race, I mean, what else are you going to show? The only thing, the only camera that was there was the one that was on the leader and that was him. Right. Um, and so, so yeah, it was cool. Um, uh, but yeah, definitely a different feeling experience to actually watch the race. Um, another thing that stood out to me was, was the differing um, approaches um, when it came to racing, um, which I'm sure probably stood out to you as well. The differing race strategies you had Sarah Hall and you had Kellen Taylor. And on the men's side, you had like Ian Butler that just went after it, right? Ian Butler's PR in the half marathon before today was like 65.28. And what did he do the half in? Um, So, and then today he went through the half in uh, about 104.30 and he ran, uh, he ran, uh, he ran under 210 today. 209 something. Yeah, he ran 209 something and he had never run under 105 for a half marathon before today. Um, but then you have Kellen Taylor who went out faster than her half marathon standalone PR and, and she didn't totally fall apart, but it clearly didn't work out very well for her. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, and then you had she, Sarah Hall who, who, who was clearly going after it and she ended up running a PR, but still didn't quite get the time she did and looked horrible, looked super bad in the last two K because she was clearly like having to go to the well. Um, so contrast that with like Kira D'Amato, um, who let him go. Right. With, right. with, um, with Emma Bates, um, who like, Emma right looked around, great. like right around halfway, I texted you about Emma Bates yeah. and I was like, she looks like she's like for a walk. I mean, right. she looked like super relaxed, not that she was like slacking or running slow or anything. She was running five thirty pace at the time, but I mean, she just clearly was trying to stay within herself. Um, Matt McDonough, who, uh, runs for the Atlanta track club, um, ran a very evenly paced race. Um, and that meant that when that 209 group went and he, probably I would have thought he would have been one of the people that did that. He just kind of let him go and he ended up running fairly even splits. Um, And, and so it was just interesting to see that the, and I I think this is kind of related back to the fact that we were so heavily focused on the race itself because there wasn't all the other fanfare and all the other stuff. It's just such a pure racing experience and you get so deeply involved with it that 
it was interesting to see the the contrast of those racing strategies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think there's also something to be said about um, negative splitting or at least running even pace versus Here to motto, negative know, just, split. Yeah, of course she did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, she looked like she had another several miles in her coming across the finish line. So I think, you know, that no one's ever going to convince me that <laughs> you're going to run a better race going out too fast than, mm-hmm. you know, if you run evenly and especially if you negative split. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. Most, most world records, um, if not all world records, most world records have been run with, with negative splits. Um, um, and it's usually, they usually would be even splits, except for the fact that, that whoever's running it is kicking at the very end and that gives them their negative split. Right. My marathon PR is a negative split. My 5k PR is a, is, is a negative split. Um, so yeah, that stuff matters. Um, and it's probably true for you too, right? Yeah. I think my marathon PR is a negative split. Um, so California. Right on. Well, I, I don't know. About... It was so long ago. I don't even. I don't have any concept of like when was the last time I ran a real race. So, right. want to be runner over here. <laughs> right on. Um, so speaking of like races and marathons and all that sort of thing. So one thing that kind of everybody knows, and we're going to do our year-end wrap-up episode is going to be our next episode. And I'm looking forward to that because I'm looking forward to reflecting on this kind of odd year um, with you and with some other people that we talked to them about, uh, talked to on the podcast this this year. Um, but um, um, this year for me was supposed to be, you know, three world marathon majors. And I've had in my, my uh, sites over the course of the last couple of years, the world marathon major age group championship, right? Um, and so the very first uh, world marathon major age group championship um, was was um, supposed to be earlier this year. Um, and then version two or, or, or race two was supposed to be next year. Um, and and it just kind of all fell apart, obviously. Um, and so it did all fall apart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and so so this week, uh, the Abbott World Marathon major sent an email and they said they're actually revamping the the means by which they have qualifiers and they're changing it rather than following the series, which is this sort of like goes across the years. It's sort of this, this trans calendar uh, approach that they're actually going to have you qualify by calendar year next year. And so if you want to qualify for the 2022 world age group, world marathon majors age group championship, and it's only for masters runners and it's only for age groupers. So it's like right in my wheelhouse, right? Um, It's going to be from January 1st to December 31st is going to be the qualifying period. And they're going to announce in the first part of the year where the championship is going to be in 2022. Um, and they said, and then here are all of our qualifying races. And of course, the World Marathon majors themselves are qualifying races, but they announced lots of other races that have signed up as potential qualifiers as well. Well, they'll be looking at your performance there and you can gain points that you can then cash in to, to earn your spot in the uh, World Marathon Major Degree Championship. Among others, the, uh, the Atlanta Marathon is on that list. Um, um, yeah. I know that was just released this week, but do you feel like that's incredibly hopeful? Yeah. To list all those races as potential qualifiers, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, well, I don't really think we're going to see big racing come back. I mean, I think fall is, I think, yeah, I don't know. They, I don't they, imagine that anything in the first six months of the year is going to go off as planned. They said, they said that the, the, there's a lot of races that they have, they're actually going to be looking at the virtual races for certain races. Really? Um, and so, so yeah, so, so the, so the virtual results of certain races. And so they didn't say exactly what the qualifications were or, or, or what races had to do in order to qualify their virtual results for people who are going to qualify for the world uh, marathon major aid group championship. Um, but 
if a lot of them end up flipping over to virtual in the first six months, then a lot of them are probably going to end up having that. Um, so I, I'm curious to see. So, you know, the first healthcare workers in the United States got vaccinated this week. So you and I both know people who got who got vaccinated yeah. just this week. Got the first it was of pretty this week. emotional watching those Absolutely. come up on social. Like I was getting chills. Absolutely. And yeah, um, yeah. So, I'm surprised so, by my reaction. <laughs> so we'll see. I mean, you know, it's it's um, you know, my wife and I, the travel agent and I were talking about it this week and and. I feel confident that if we wanted to travel to Berlin in September, we, we will be able to travel to Berlin in late September. Whether they will be having the Berlin Marathon in late September is another yeah. matter. Yeah, so, I'd agree with that. So, so we'll see. Um, and you, same thing with Eugene. So Eugene Marathon in April. I imagine we, we could travel to Eugene today. I mean, the United States, there's a reason why we're the highest numbers in the world because we right. don't restrict anything. <laughs> but... but um, but but will they be having that event? I don't know. We'll see. Depends on how how quickly the the vaccine gets rolled out, um, and the balance between what we start doing as people get more and more vaccinated, and that's yeah. I think yet to be determined. But we'll see. Um, so speaking of other events that are in the spring, let's talk real quickly about the professional triathletes organization and their big Daytona championship. Did you see this? Um, I watched some of it. I mostly watched some of the replays, but um, I think I more read about the controversy over it. Than <laughs> <laughs> but, well, was, was the controversy about what the PTO is or about the race itself? Gosh, it's both. Okay. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about what the PTO is. And so, so there was a race um, in early December, about two weeks ago, um, about uh, that was called PTO Daytona. Um, and PTO is the Professional Triathletes Organization, um, which is it I'm basically the main competitor to Ironman. So they're 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 setting themselves up as that, but they also have 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 tried to angle to buy got other Iron stuff, Man. right? So, oh, really? they, so, so they've actually tried to buy Iron Man, and, and that's fizzled a little bit over the course of the past year, but, but they might make some other bid to do that. But anyway, the Professional Triathletes Organization, it was formerly the Professional Triathletes Union, um, and it started in 2015 with lots of really, really well-known, mostly long course um, uh, uh, triathletes, uh, Jody Swallow, Rachel Joyce, Miranda Carfrey. Meredith Kessler, Mary Beth Ellis, Angela Nath, Sebastian Keenley, Pete Jacobs, Dirk Bockel, Tim O'Donnell, James Cunema, lots of others, right? Right. Um, and, and then it, over time, morphed into the PTO, and then they ended up getting a financial um, a backer called Crankshaft Productions, I think it's called. Um, and it's set up kind of similar to the PGA, the Professional Golfers Association, where the athletes um, have a controlling... Um, decision-making power inside the organization such that presumably they will make decisions in the best interests of the athletes. Um, and, and they also have um, a lot of, of the revenue power um, and, and how to, 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 to gain money. Um, so it's about a 50-50 share. Um, they're focusing on non-drafting long course events. Um, right. and, and so that's pretty much like, like Ironman and Challenge. Um, and just going to give you one example here. Um, Ironman and Challenge offer about just over $2 million in total prize money for over 100 events around the world. Um, and uh, at Daytona, Daytona like one event, it was $1.1 million for a single event. Yeah. Right. Um, and so again, and, and it wasn't just 100000 or $1.1 million for a single event. It was also 
um, $100,000 to the winner, but then $70,000 to the second place winner. And so it went pretty yeah, deep the prize all the way on huge. down. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and, and it was equal on both the men's side, and the women's side, um, and, and um, all sorts of things that, that professional triathletes have been, been arguing about for a while. Um, probably the most striking thing that PTO has done is that back in March in 2020, um, when it appeared that the season was pretty much being canceled, which meant that all of these professional triathletes weren't going to be able to get payouts from Ironman or from Challenge or from any of the races where they originally had been planning to race and right. hopefully win. Um, PTO paid out $2.5 million to their members in order to try and keep them financially solvent for, for all of 2020 uh, when they weren't able to race. It's pretty incredible. So why does an athlete, why does a tri professional triathlete not join the PTO? Um, because you would piss off the current Ironman? Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Um, so, so if you want to be in Ironman's good graces and in challenge goes graces and, and, and you want to be one of their, their favorite athletes and, and you want them to feature you and talk about you and raise you up and, and, and uh, do all the things that would increase your app, uh, your, your athlete profile and, and improve your personal brand. Um, then you don't want to, to, to bite the hand that feeds you. But we um, saw a lot of crossover. I mean, Heather Jackson was in Daytona, mm -hmm. like yeah. uh, Holly Lawrence was in Daytona. I mean, there was a lot yeah. of. Yeah, there was. And so, so I, th I think that, that um, essentially it's the, it's the, the high end pros, the ones who are pretty well established, like Miranda Carfrey and Tim O'Donnell. Sure. Like, Marin, like, <laughs> like Iron Man, Iron Man is not going to, to, to throw Miranda Carfrey under the bus because right. she's, she's too friend, big yeah right? that makes sense sure. um and, and plus her time with them has kind of like dwindled down a little yeah, bit <laughs> she's, she's kind of done you know and, yeah. and so so she's gotten to a place in her career um where she can sort of safely say you know i i i'm gonna help promote something that's an alternative to iron man and and um rectify some of the issues baby. of iron man <laughs> so yeah um so anyway so so uh they had a race down there so is, is, is that part of the controversy you read about uh, that's some of it. But I also think, again, similar to the marathon project, just the ethical dilemma of, am I going to travel for this race? Am I going to mm -hmm. put myself in this venue with, you know, thousands of other people? Um, mm -hmm. Am I not going to have some result on my, you know, on my card for this year and take a chance that I lose my sponsorship? I mean, I, you got to feel for these athletes. Um, so I think a lot of it is, yeah, just the whole gathering at Daytona is you know, traveling there and the mass of people. So, yeah. So it was at the Daytona International Speedway, um, which is interesting for a variety of reasons. One is because, you know, it was literally on a, on a speedway. Speedway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so they're racing their bikes around where NASCAR like, normally races, right? The biggest velodrome um, ever, right? Like, so, so, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, but then they also, they broadcast it taking some cues from nascar so do you ever watch nascar no that's a dumb question <laughs> <laughs> well, like, I don't, I, you want I don't, me to watch people drive cars in circles like okay see <laughs> i so personally i never understood nascar until i started cycling and then cycling and nascar have very similar allure well um, there you go 
And, and so, so I, yeah. And you hate cycling too. Good point. I don't um, hate cycling. I just, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I still don't watch NASCAR, but I get the allure having now spent years and years and years watching cycling. Um, and so, so, but they, they took some cues from NASCAR that if you watch a NASCAR event now, like you can hear the, the radio chatter in between the driver and the pit crew. And, and you can see all these statistics on screen that like what's going on with their fuel levels and things like like that, right? Um, and so they did the same thing in the broadcast of Daytona. Um, they actually broadcast their heart rates and their wattages and, and all that sort of thing actually up on screen so that you could follow along almost and, and, and sort of see what they were up to and, and how their bodies were reacting to the efforts they were putting out. Um, so was that uh, cool to watch? I mean, did you? So, um, it, or it was, did it, it really matter? Cool. Like, it was kind of cool. cool. Yeah. yeah it was kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it was, but it's the same way that when you and I were watching the marathon project today, like they, they were at like mile two and I was like, are they going to give us any splits? Like I was getting annoyed because they weren't telling us how fast they were running. <laughs> you, you were know? ridiculously annoyed. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of annoyed by that, but eventually they kind of started coming around and giving us more splits, but, but About it's the same sort of thing. 15 seconds after you said that. <laughs> right. It's the same sort of thing that they, that, that you just get more information and it deepens your understanding of what's going on in the race. Yeah. Um, and particularly if you've done these sorts of races, um, and it, it was sort of an interesting, uh, distance race. Um, it was, um, uh, how far was it? it 1.2 mile swim, 50 mile bike, 11 mile run or something. There it is. Yeah. It was a 2k. It was, uh, yeah, that's exactly right. It was is that right? I'm swim. not looking at anything by the way. That's right. It was a 2k <laughs> swim. It was a 2k swim. It was a 50, an 80k bike, which is 50 miles. Um, and it was a, uh, an 18, it was like an 11 run. mile run. So yeah. An 18 yeah and they run. swam on, in a lake inside the complex. I didn't even know there was a lake inside the complex. <laughs> <laughs> like that's news to me. Right. Uh, it's kind of bizarre. Um, but, and so, so it was, it was a little bit short of like half Ironman distance, which meant that you ended up getting people like from the, the Olympic sprint level world and then you also had people from the iron man world yeah um and that sort of thing so you had this sort of interesting mix of athletes that you never really see race one another too so that was kind of kind of cool and fun to watch as well um a guy named gustav Eiden won it uh matt hansen from the united states was second george godwin was third or goodwin was third um a couple more names you might know lionel sanders um who has finished as a runner-up in kona he was fourth um javier gomez um who is a world 70.3 champion um was 11th um, he's also been a world champion in the ITU. Um, and then there were Ironman stars kind of all the way on down the list. Um, Alistair Brownlee and Sebastian Keenly both DNF'd it. Um, on the women's side, Paula fin Finley ran, uh, won it. It took about three hours or so, by the way. Um, and Anna Hogue, who has won in... Um, she's in, German, right? So yeah, she's German. Yeah. Both second and third were German. Uh, Paula Finley is a, a Canadian. Canadian. Um, that was Anna a great Hogue, win. I was really happy was. to see her um, win that. <laughs> Uh, Anna Hogue has won Kona um, and she, yeah. she was second um, and then Laura Phillip was third. And so you had, you know, somebody who, who Paula Finley, who's had a lot of success at the ITU level, like in the, the Olympic distance level winning and was getting chased down in the back half by somebody who's had success at the Ironman level, which is kind of cool to say. Yeah. Um, Daniela Reef was a, was a DNS, was a do not start. She was not there for it. So she kind of the biggest star of the course, of course the last little year. Um, but anyway, if you're interested in it, I'll say two more quick things about it. Um, one, um, they're showing it again on MB uh, NBCSN on January 2nd at five o'clock. And so if you want to see kind of what it looks like and all that sort of thing, um, and see whether you like this format, um, then check it out. Um, it's about 48 minutes long. Um, and so it's not by any stretch, you know, you don't have to watch the entire race. Um, but they, they kind of put it into highlights and show you all that sort of thing. Um, and then next up, 
And tell me what you think about this, Michelle, because you actually do you, I, I make fun of you about not liking cycling, but you actually do like triathlon. I love triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the next up is going to be what's called the Collins cup. And this is something they've been trying to pull off for a while and they were supposed to do it this year for the first time, but 2020. Um, and, and so now it's set for, uh, May in Slovakia. Um, the Collins cup, it's, it's three teams, six women and six men on each team. That's pretty um, cool. And, and the, there's a European team, there is an American team, and then there's everybody else team, <laughs> what they're calling the international team. Um, seems right. <laughs> yeah. And so, and, and it's in the way that they actually comprise the teams, it's in part, they get chosen by their rankings inside the PTO. And then in part, the people that are already on the team get to choose who the next people are going to be. And then here's the coolest part is that it's set up as match play. And so like, if I was on the European team and you were on the USA team and they, like the two teams would say, okay, we're going to put, we're going to put Frank up against Darden. Right. And, and, and the two of them are going to race head to head. And if I beat you, that would mean I would get more points for my team than you would get for your team. And then the winner is going to be the team with the most points. It's similar to the way they do the Ryder cup in golf. So the next podcast is going to be all about, uh, about what we saw as the highlights of this year of 2020, um, or at least things that we'll be taking away from 2020. And so I look forward to discussing that with you next time. We tried to do a surprise podcast to get to know George with me and Eric and the rest of your Blue Ridge Relay infamous teammates. While you how'd, were that, away. how'd that work out? Yeah, we never got to it. <laughs> <laughs> nice but work. But it would have been kind of funny, wouldn't it? <laughs> if, if suddenly it just would have popped up on the page that there was a new podcast, that would have been like, oh, it would have uh, been wait, so what? <laughs> so it would have been pretty funny. I agree. So. Um, Michelle, thanks for joining Next me tonight. Year. Yeah, this is really late. I'm glad I was here. I'm glad I took a nap at 6 p.m. to be able to do this. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everybody. That'll do it for another edition of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We appreciate you joining us. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Twitter at pleasantpodcast. You can find us on Instagram, Most Pleasant Exhaustion. And you can always download our podcast from Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Don't forget to check out our sponsor, ITL Coaching and Performance at itlcoaching.com, on Twitter at itlcoaching, at Facebook, facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance, and on Instagram, itlcoaching. You can check out Blue Pineapple Travel at bluepineappletravel.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash bluepineappletravel, or on Instagram, bluepineappletravel. And finally, SlayerX. You can find them at slayerx.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash here4slayerx. That's the number four, here4slayerx. On Instagram at here4slayerx, again the number four, and on Twitter at officialslayrx. Don't forget the discount code PLEASANT2020. On behalf of Patrick Ollinger and Michelle Frank, this is George Darden. We appreciate you joining us on the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast.